little bit on what we talked about yesterday with league winners, um, partially there, and a new topic, uh, draft flow. If you have not been on the website, there is a to- there is a blog post. I, I don't know if I call it a full article. I'm talking about draft flow and what exactly that means, what I define it as. You may think of it as something different, but it as a topic is something to think about when you come to your draft and not getting caught up in, in some stuff or riding that wave if that's kind of the, the way that you feel. So we're here to talk to a league mate of mine who's uh, been in the league for 11 years now. Um, 2009, he joined. Um, Ozzy came to us right when we were expanding to a 12-team league. Um, so Ozzy, uh, welcome to the podcast, your first time on. Um, so real quick to introduce you a little bit, you joined this league in 2009. How old were you when, when you came into this league? Oh, man. Uh, first of all, it's uh, great to be on. Glad to, glad to be here. And uh, I would say, oh, 2009. Oh, man. I think I was, oh, I was still in high school. I must have been, shit, uh, like 15, like like 15 or something like that yeah i think it was like 15 15 so um when you think about that you joined obviously because i uh, me and your brother really started this league um back in 2005 and that's kind of how you end up as a 15 year old kid in this league with people a lot older than you so when you're showing up to that draft i i want to think back to 2009 i want to say that first draft that you were at we did at a bar yeah yeah it was at a bar i remember that <laughs> and I, I i remember being being nervous about you being allowed in and um what we would have to you know because there was a fee for getting food and and getting drinks and i you know like i didn't think it was right that if you were to pay for the food you know really you're not paying for the food when you're at those things you're really paying for that for that three hours or four hours worth of beers or drinks so I remember being nervous and having to talk to the owner of the establishment and like, no, 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 we'll definitely be out by, you know, seven, eight o'clock, you know, and, and, um, that being a thing. So, um, it's, it's interesting to look back because, you know, 2009 and, and I talked about this a while, a little while ago, you hear those dates and they don't sound that long ago, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't realize how much in that 11 years has changed, but even in 2009, um, like 26 27 so um smartphones were not the way we think of smartphones now you know like internet cellular internet was very slow um so you think about now and and even the and the software it's pretty much standard to have live scoring on the website and all that stuff a lot's changed so um it's interesting to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane there when we talk about 2009 um for sure. I, I still remember uh, people having like notebooks and all this crazy stuff. And I, I think the first one to bring an iPad to the draft was was uh, was my brother. He's <laughs> the first one that used technology. And we're all looking at him like, like, what is this doucher here doing with his with his iPad? <laughs> yeah, where's your pen and paper? Man? Where's your legal pad? So um, you're 15 years old. You show up to this draft in a bar you know, obviously you knew most of the people in the league just from kind of being the younger brother there, but a little intimidating or no? Yeah. So I, I, you know, it was definitely a little bit 
uh, a little bit more intimidating, but um, yeah, I don't know. Growing up, I, I kind of always looked up to my brother, right? And I kind of, you know, being that young, much younger brother, I always kind of like tried to imitate him and stuff. So, of course, there were certain hobbies that he got into, I also got into, and, and fantasy football, football in general, just happened to be one of them, right? Uh, so I, I kind of got interested that way. And even, so actually before 2009, uh, I don't know if you remember, in 2008, uh, one of the one of our league mates, Alex, at the time, because um, I don't think he, no, yeah, he no longer does our fantasy league, but he actually uh, couldn't make the draft. And so I think he had asked my brother if I could sub in and just, pick his draft for him and i think that was my first draft and that draft was actually at hooters i remember (laughs) so even more classy establishment well yeah i mean um Um, we bounced around so uh i don't want to you know like we uh the first two years we did it in my living room um, oh wow just to get the yeah just to get the league going we ordered from what was then mr wings what is now george's wings um classic morale park establishment um and we you know everybody brought coolers and we drafted on like a plastic table um for for some hours and and you know looking back and you're a little embarrassed by what you think you know um but yeah and then kind of following those two years we really struggled to find like a home place we did hooters a couple times we did um the the hurricane had us drafted at uh Lenahan's yeah, on. I remember that. That was the Hurricane Sandy one, right? Or one yeah. of them. Yeah, so we had to, like, we moved it up a day, and then it really was worse than if we would have just left it, but we were trying to make sure we were, you know, mindful of the news reports. Um, and then we ended up what was uh, General Grants. We were there twice. We were at what is the Union Tap. It's really General Grants, just a different location, twice. And then we just in- instituted this rule that's like, look, if you win the league, you can pick where it is. You know, like it, it, it was a bit of a, of a pain. You know, it's easy for me to just be like, hey, someone else take care, <laughs> take care of this. It's out of my hands. But also, I also don't have the stress of like people com- complaining and then taking a little personal about the draft location. Right, you know? right. But yeah, so it was, um, yeah, doing it at a bar full of people way older than me at first was kind of intimidating. But I don't know. It was just something uh, that I wanted to get into. I'm, I, I was always like a competitive person growing up. So, and I always, you know, wanted to compete with my brother. So fantasy football was kind of a good, good outlet for that. Um, and yeah, so I started at 15 and, and been doing fantasy football, doing some of my own leagues, uh, started my own league at work. That's been going pretty well. I've kind of modeled after, uh, you a lot because, you know, uh, your league especially has been one of the best ones I've been a part of and you know having a league that's well run is uh, definitely appreciated so yeah so I've been a part of this for, for quite a while now and yeah I, I love it um, and I you know I thank you I'd love to take a lot of the credit for that but the reality is is what makes this league good because I'm in I'm in some other leagues and I've been in quite a few over the last little while. And I think what makes this different um, when you're talking about these leagues where people have been in for a long time, the phrase that I use is legacy leagues. 
it's these leagues that were set up a while ago and, and it's got the same people for the most part. Um, the reality is, is, is in a lot of those leagues, guys aren't just like the activity level is different. You know, like sometimes people are just in it because they're, you know, it's what they've always done. And, you know, I'd like to take all the credit, but the reality is, is we just have some people who are really dialed in, who really like fantasy football, who take it seriously, but maybe not crazy seriously, or maybe not crazy seriously like I do. Um, <laughs> but where it's not fun, you know, like I feel like every year everybody shows up at the draft with the belief that they can win, you know, and I think that that's important. And for the most part, everybody stays pretty active um, on the waivers and, and uh, trades are a different topic of conversation. But, you know, like the reality is, is I think that it is a bit of a special league. I think that we're lucky um, in that way, because that has also helped me cultivate this this further interest in, in fantasy as not just I'm going to show up and pick players that I think that I like or that I think are good, but like fantasy as a topic and as a research mm-hmm. uh, item, you know, so uh, what I, you know, for anybody that might be listening, um, you hear that praise from come from Ozzy and one piece of advice, if you run a league that I will say, is like one, don't be afraid to make changes, but two, don't make changes just to make changes, make changes that make sense. Stay on top of like, what's going on you know like um don't be afraid uh you know i was married to being a standard league for a long time but the reality is is and i said this yesterday but half point ppr is really becoming standard i had to be flexible with that i still don't quite i think full ppr is a bit nuts um but uh half ppr is standard now don't be afraid to talk about doing a super flex but make sure your league mates are on board. Don't do it, and then everybody's not happy about it, you know. But keep an eye on those things and those trends, because you want to be on, you know, you want to be ahead of it. But also, those kind of changes keep people interested, especially if you're you're on top of stuff. A couple of years ago, we had to update stuff just based on technology. The league was around for so long; waiver rules were in place because I, when, when I had put it together, I had to think about like. Well, I don't want to give people who work in an office an unfair advantage because you couldn't just look at your phone in the morning. Right. You know? like, yep. Yep. You know, so like I had to adjust those rules and there were just different rules that smartphones just changed a lot of that and apps changed a lot of that. And um, so those are things you should look at, but you also also should look at different trends, see things as trends that aren't going to stick, but also see trends as like, oh, I'd like to really discuss this and see if people will be on board. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a good point. You know, uh, it's something I would have never thought of. You know, because you know, there's some of us that you know work in offices. Others that do other things or have mobile, very mobile jobs. They can't look at their phones or they can't update their lineup as fast or pick waivers. So, in- introducing those kinds of rules kind of help prevent that. So it's a, it's a pretty good point. Yeah, it just back then. You needed to sit at a computer <laughs> in 2005. Yeah. You needed to have a laptop <laughs> or sit at a desktop. Yep. You know, so like, and then there were just different rules, like the rosters locked, kickoff of the first game. You know, not now. It's like five minutes before kickoff or whatever, yep. or at kickoff for that game. Yep. But your entire lot roster would lock then. Like that's just the way the software works. And there's different additions that we did as for the free agent budget became a thing. We looked at, at adding that and we changed it. I like it a lot better. I got a lot of pushback when I changed it, but I think that it may, you know, like 
there's different rules that you want to look at and, and what the impact is going to be and make sure that your team or your league likes it, but don't get too crazy with it. You know, don't just start making up, you know, like we're going to have 17 super flex positions or something, you yeah. know, like um, look at stuff that makes sense and make sure your league is on board and, and a good way to keep people engaged. So exactly. Um, any advice to anybody starting up a league or has a legacy league that they're looking to update, you know, um, so we're here today to talk about draft flow. Um, I posted that blog post and I, and I said a little bit in the intro and, and you and I went back and forth and text message a little bit because I had sent it to you before I actually posted it. I think I sent it to you before the website was even live. Yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, so, uh, and you were like, I don't know if I agree with you here and I don't know if I agree with you there. And I was like, you know what? Let's save this. Let's record it. You know, like, it's fine to disagree. You know, like, I'm not someone who uh, thinks I have all the answers, you know, like, um, so it's fine to disagree and, and it's fine to talk about some of these things about why I feel this way or why you feel this way and, and what's worked for each of us, you know, like, um, before we get, so uh, another thing about keeping the league interesting, I started a couple years ago um, making charts for everybody's teams and league history items. And um, one of the things that I did was like, I tried to, to peel apart for everybody that, so they could see their performance. So it's one thing when you think, you know, right. It's one thing to think that you have the statistics. You think that you're a better or a worse team. Mm-hmm. That's another thing to have to look at the, the, your own statistics, right? We do so much looking at statistics and fantasy and prepping for fantasy. And when we go to the waivers and all that stuff, and it's good to have your own statistics to kind of look at, just how much fluctuation you have are you really playing that luck game you know yeah as as, and, as a guy that works in the data industry i very much appreciate it <laughs> as a data nerd <laughs> like oh, i love it so um when when you and i are talking one thing when we started this i said hey you know like you we looked at that we looked at that that page one was to me for me to refresh to make sure i was correct with you jumping in the league in 2009 but then when I when I talk to people, I want to make sure that I don't think that everybody needs to give their bona fides. But um, you've been in the league since 2009. You've got a better than average um, record, yep. right? Or finish, right? And that's something to be proud of. Um, so we're talking about finish. It, there, there's like a winning percentage stat. There's a finish stat. There's a top three finish stat. There's, you know, like all of that stuff. So um, when you and I are talking and, and what works and what doesn't work, I'm talking to somebody who has – Right. All we're trying to do is be better than average week in and week out. Mm -hmm. That is how you win. You know, you can't, everybody wants to be number one week in and week out, but it just, the reality is, is you're much more likely to want to just be better than average. If you're better than average on the average, then you win. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and kind of looking at those stats, uh, you know, some people will say, oh, all fantasy football is luck. Um, you know, or some people say, no, there's like a bit of skill involved and actually looking at, uh, 10 years of data is pretty interesting of where people fall. You generally see, you generally can tell who the top performers are, right? Uh, like there's people on there uh, in our league who consistently perform pretty well. And you can see that based on like their placings and the, the amount of points their their team scores, you know, and sometimes they'll have down years. It happens to everybody, right? You, you pick a Jamal Charles and, you know, he's rated as number one running back blows his ACL. That's your first round pick and your season's pretty much screwed. Right. So that happens to everybody, but 
I, I also feel like there's probably draft strategies out there, or I'm going to say strategies, but just ways that people draft that are, you know, kind of more or less risk averse that help them place there, you know, help them kind of yeah. get that result. And, and that was part of when I started making these, these pages, uh, part of it was me looking at, I feel like this is true. Is it true? Right. Let, let me put all this data together. Let me see if what I feel is true is true. And then um, I think it's less about the players taken. And, and that's when you talked about strategy. I think it's less about the actual players taken. Right. There is a little bit of what I've been saying when I looked at these is there's a, there's a little bit of poker in fantasy football. Yes. I'm not a, I'm not a good poker player, but I understand the game and I understand that look, there's times where you have the cards, there's times where you don't have the cards, and there's not a great way to solve for that. But you can play the average, right? Mm -hmm. You can play the average, and the average lets you know when you should bet or when you should gout. And then you can play more risky things of saying, well, I think this player, person has better cards than I do, but I think I can still push them out of this hand, right? Like, and um, Or if I just hang on, I may get a you know card that I'm looking for. And I think that fantasy is, there's a lot of that because there is luck. You can't solve for luck. But the reality is, is that on the average, it's the same people, mm -hmm. right? And, there, and if it, that's the case, then there has to be some level of skill. And what is that skill? And a lot of that skill is knowing how to play the averages. Right, yeah. A kind of reading the people in the room, you know, there's an element of that. Knowing, knowing what, how certain people are going to draft. Um, you know, you've been in this league and you, you kind of figure out, uh, after, mul you know, multiple years, how certain people in our league draft. Um, and I guess that's one of the benefits of being in a league for a long time is, uh, with the same people you, you kind of, you know, uh, sometimes they evolve. I've seen people go from, you know, pretty bad on average, uh, fantasy players to having like much better seasons now. Um, so I've, I've definitely seen that. Uh, but it's funny because for the most part, I, I feel like, uh, those people kind of tend to draft uh, in very similar ways <laughs> and you know who exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I just think that, um, there's an amount of like the people that draft that way. And I, and I, this is consistent in, in other leagues too. There are people that like to just do the unconventional, mm -hmm. right. And they like to to do that and and look that can work but again on the average it probably won't and they don't you know like they're gonna they're gonna take the the most risky pick with little upside and high risk you know like and it just again if you're just gonna game that out it's not necessarily the best strategy mm -hmm. um, and and i also think that there's a bit of just like players have evolved because i do think that data is easier to come by now oh yeah you know like um there are just fantastic podcasts. There are great websites to go on and just get stats. And, and there are people who are ranking is better now than it was 11 years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, people have evolved, but also, like, the biz, you know, the way that you can you can get input has evolved. So, um, 
we kind of went over some show notes a little earlier and I, I pulled it up just before we got on. Right. One of the things that you had talked about in, in kind of your, your show notes, and I don't want to knock you off if you want to save it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have something here that you're calling uh, to draft meta. Yeah. So kind of going into the draft flow, um, I guess uh, for those who don't know, I, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you explained it uh on here yet let's do you know what before we go to draft meta i'll do that yeah um so real fast when i talk about draft flow i'm going to give you a very dirty fast way if you want to read more it's a very fast read um go on drivewayathletes.com but the idea is is that your draft is going to move in a certain way and then like um at some point in your draft there's going to be a run on a certain position but also you are going to have your own personal draft flow, which means like you're going to have to draft to fill your positions. So the draft itself, like if you're watching it, not in your seat, you're going to see different trends going on. And then you and your seat are going to have to figure out if you want to be in that, not be in that, how you want to build your team, because your team in and of itself is a flow. You know, some people will want to say, I want to, you know, like, I'm not going to take a one position, so a quarterback or a tight end in a stand, you know, like in a conventional league. I'm not going to take that until I've gotten both starters at running back and wide receiver, or uh, you know, like and a flex. Um, and if you're locked into that, that that's fine. I mean, I, I don't agree with that overall philosophy of being locked into something. But um, how you build your team is a flow itself. How the league moves is a flow itself. They're both impacting each other, right? They're not happening um, without input from from each other, but they're not necessarily working, you know, they're not necessarily moving in the same direction. Uh, And then we, we, as drafters, have to decide how much we want to move with the league flow and how much we want to try and go uh, cross-current with that. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that that's about as quick and dirty as I can do in in that. Um, and then there's uh, one last point because it's the last part I hit in that article was there is a part of draft flow where there is a guy, um, I call it the falling talent, for some reason that you might have high on your ranks that just keeps falling, um, which is like a counter flow. Um, and... Uh, Kind of in this whole discussion, there's a little bit of every player has value. Um, it's just if you agree with the value that kind of is the cost of admission, um, or and then you have to do some some math yourself about like, all right, the risk or the the value that I didn't like in round three is a value I really like in round eight. You know, like because it does it does happen. Maybe not five round tumble, but guys do tumble. Sometimes you might want to look on your phone and make sure they're not hurt or don't have a positive drug test or whatever that's. Yep. But um, there are guys that it seems like either your your list is just way off from everybody else's um, or uh, just people have been burned by this player and they don't want them or something is causing it. And then you have to decide at what point do you think this player becomes valuable to you? Right. Like I've talked to people and they're like, I would never own that person. I'm like, if you would take this guy in the 15th round, you're an idiot. You know, like that's just every player has value. What do you think you're getting in the 15th round? Yeah. It kind of goes against your bias 
you can say, yeah. you know, you're kind of biased towards a certain player, but maybe the people around you aren't for some reason. So Right, exactly. So that is kind of the, the talk and what draft flow is. Um, and then uh, I've never heard of, of kind of this take on it. Um, I think that I get what you're what you're getting at here, mm-hmm. but I've never heard, heard this um, take on it spelled out that way. So, um, again, you want to give me a quick and dirty about what you're talking about with, with that? Yeah, so something that, like, um, so I, I kind of call it the draft meta, or meta kind of stands for most effective tactic available. It's kind of It kind of comes from, like, a gaming term, um, where, like, in a lot of competitive games, uh, there's a certain most effective way to do something based off of, like, a patch notes or whatever, right? So... You know, I, if anybody plays League of Legends, certain champions are the most powerful because they get buffed in a certain patch and then they get nerfed and so on and so forth, causing this like meta shift of what is popular. Um, and, so, and, uh, let me pause you right yep. there. So, with that, right, that causes the entire game to readjust. Exactly. Yes. So that causes the uh, the game and everybody else. So sometimes people can do something that's maybe not in the meta, but it doesn't mean it's not effective. It just means that's not what everybody else is doing. So that's kind of what I mean by that. And when I apply it to like a draft term, um, I'm basically applying it to kind of how, how drafts have gone in the past and how they are now. And I think with draft, uh, draft to draft, season to season, this changes. Um, but kind of one of the biggest examples, uh, at least especially with our league, which we kind of uh, rate quarterbacks a little bit higher, uh, QB play or quarterbacks in general, you had much earlier, like in 2009 to like 2013, when I was actually looking back in the data, you had a couple quarter, like two to three quarterbacks uh, drafted in the first round, um, sometimes two, sometimes one, but like you generally had a quarterback that was drafted in the first round. Uh, and I think this was because you had uh, really only a few good, like, fantasy, like, y- you had a few good quarterbacks that actually gave you, like, you know, 40 points a game all the time. Uh, like, you could say Peyton Manning, uh, Aaron Rodgers, back in his, like, when he, when he was just annihilating the league. Uh, even Michael Vick in 2010, that's a pretty good example. Um, so you have these, uh, so in general quarterbacks kind of went a little earlier, especially really top tier ones. But now you do not see quarterbacks going in the first round at all. Like, I I think I was looking back for like after, 2013 and you maybe had like one example of a quarterback going in the first round but in general it's just been mostly running backs receivers and the occasional tight end and kind of my theory behind that and you know could could be wrong you can feel free to disagree with me and i think it's because the league has gone to a more passing league in general where everyone is everyone's scoring way more points um so all these quarterbacks uh, produce good points and so why would you waste a first round on a 
QB when you can get a decent value kind of later on when maybe that wasn't the case. Um, real quick, because I can give you what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to look back, you know, kind of 500 feet away in 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, like if you go all the way up through 2009, there are maybe five quarterbacks who give, would give you consistent points, not just high end points, but consistent points. Yeah. And there was, which just was not the same way. You know, there were a lot of running backs who got 25 plus carries yeah. per game. And then the league really changes, not just in how much they pass, but when you talk about that phenomenon of when teams get down and then just completely abandon the run. So the way that the league used to be is like you would put up some points and yeah, teams, there were some quarterbacks who did it through the air. And then you kind of took the foot off the gas. You started to run and the other team either not, I wouldn't say conceded, but did not completely abandon the running game. Right. So now you get quarterbacks who are, you know, like not what you would consider upper echelon talent who are throwing the ball 45 times, you know, and that used to be, you know, Andy Reid was vilified in Philadelphia for throwing the ball that much, you know, 35 times. It was like, he he's insane and it's his run pass ratio is way off and really you know you look now and you're like now he's a little it's a little conservative yeah exactly compared to today's standards yeah so there is a lot of like once because you can score so much faster with a passing game when teams get down especially just even something as slight as two touchdowns they will come out and throw three straight downs even with not much success Right. And then they come out and do the same thing. And then they come out and do the same thing. So even these guys who really shouldn't be throwing the ball 45 times a game, they're going to still end up with a 300 point, three touchdown or 300 yard, three touchdown game, which is passable. Yep. Right. Like um, the difference between that and the high end quarterback, when you're looking at like uh, end of season points per week, it's just not that great. Right. So, so. I think that's why you see that happening. And I don't want to say I was a little bit ahead of the trend. But, um, <laughs> in that regard, you don't need to spend the, the price, that second round price or that third round price on a guy. And even those guys 10 years ago, you know, would go in the first eight picks, you know, like not just first round, but they weren't going to pick 12. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think through this, you kind of see, uh, because quarterbacks kind of get more points now, um, what I've kind of also seen when I was kind of looking through the data and looking through past fantasy football data, even using just standard scoring, something I've noticed that was really interesting was throughout the years, especially like going to like 2016 and up, you have way more running backs and receivers that score like over 180 points for the season, like way more than you used to. When I was looking back at the data, I, you know, I used to see like, you know, maybe eight running backs that scored over 180 points for the season, eight receivers. But now it's it's like, you know, there's like 15 of them, you know, that are doing it. 15 running backs, 15 receivers. So you can just tell by that it's kind of more of a passing league. And kind of looking at the way running backs are, are utilized in today's game, I, I feel like you going going uh way back you saw a lot more running backs that would consistently get like 20 carries and i feel like it's 
not really like that anymore. You have way more running backs that are, you know, catching the ball a lot. Um, so you, you, you know, these kind of what we, what I used to call like kind of these Matt Forte types, right? Cause Matt Forte was one of those, like, uh, you always picked him in PPR because he was a reception monster. Um, and I feel like, yeah, you have the odd exception of like, you know, maybe Derek Henry or I don't know, Nick, Nick Chubb. Chubb. Uh, so you have you have like very few examples of that, but I feel like it's becoming way more, uh, you know, spread the ball around or, or use that running back as a, pa- a pass catcher, um, especially with um, since you know those running backs are usually up against linebackers. So, so um, I think that what you look at now is as that is not twenty carries but twenty touches. Or right. Like, you really want yeah. a, a running back that's going to get you 20, 20 touches, like especially in your first round pick. Right. Um, that does not just carries. That's I think that's what I meant. Just yeah. Yeah. Total time they're getting the ball in their hands. Uh, but no, you're definitely on a on to something there. They're the the running. So, uh, kind of to get again to give a little bit of history, there was a time just a couple years ago where everybody was talking about. It's a passing league running back or wide receivers much safer. And you saw Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and Odell Beckham go picks one, two, three, or were three of the top five, mm-hmm. you know, no worse than that. And there was a little bit of like an overreading of teams going to like, everybody's going to a committee and, or um, there's a running specialist, there's a receiving specialist and the duties are split. And there's only a very small handful of guys that are worth it. And, First round running backs have such a bust rate that it's not, you know, the risk isn't worth it. And we've come a little bit of a way, even in those couple of years from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I just, like you were saying, kind of when we started, this is every year you see a little bit of a different way that rankings are changed right? Uh, and drafting changes, but there still is always a regression to the mean. And, and that regression to the mean is still, and bulk of your first round is running back. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that never changes uh, just because the, you know, there, there's a lot uh, less running backs, you know, than there are kind of receivers in the league. Um, even though when, I, when I've when i kind of looked at it, I was actually looking at this before the podcast, something that was interesting. You know, I was kind of looking at kind of the ratio of, receivers and running backs that kind of score over 170 points per season right and i was kind of looking at how that changed over time because kind of my prediction would be like oh probably running backs there were a lot more running backs and then maybe a little bit of receivers that got over 170 points turns out doing that research it it turns out that actually it's been pretty even there's some years where wide receivers just there's way more wide receivers on that uh, list than there are running backs. And then sometimes there's like just as many running backs as there are receivers. Um, So it's kind of been even, Uh, but I I think running back in general has just way, just especially in like a standard scoring fantasy league, running backs are just so much more valuable. You can get so many more points with them. Um, and if you're in a half PPR, it kind of balances it out a little bit. Um, at least the data I looked at was for half PPR. I'm sure if you just went standard, it would be running backs are just way, way more valuable than receivers. But half PPR kind of makes it a little bit more 
balanced. So I, I, I feel like that's kind of changed how, how we draft a little bit. Um, going to back to our drafts, you know, I definitely see way more running backs picked in the first round, but you know, you see receivers there all the time. Like obviously the top tier receivers are always going to go first round and sometimes even the tight end, you know, back when especially Gronkowski was uh, tearing the league apart, it was not uncommon to see him go first round because, you know, he would get you touchdown. Yeah, exactly. He would get you, he would get you like wide receiver one type numbers. So, you, you know, it, and, and you have to fill that slot anyway. So, you know, for some it's, it's, it's worth taking that, um, that value. So, you know, that's kind of goes back to what I mean by draft meta. I think, you know, all these rankings, they look at last season and then they look at like projections and they kind of, they kind of bias it towards uh, like a lot of these rankings kind of bias it a certain way. And then as we go into the draft, we look at these rankings. I, I think a lot of us uh, go into the draft looking at the rankings and kind of were influenced by it a little bit, right? Like the way, um, especially the early rounds, I feel like people go, people pretty much follow the rankings because the rankings are just pretty much spot on with what a lot of people will do. Uh, I think you get a lot more kind of variation in the middle. And I think that's where the draft flow really, uh, especially the concept of draft flow really kicks in is really those, like after the third round, I think it really gets kicking into high gear of like, all right, what's, you know, what what is everyone going to draft ahead of me? Like what spots do I need to fill? And, you know, trying to fill that balance, who's on my ranking and, I think that's yeah. I think that's when it really uh, kicks in. So, um, a quick question for you: uh, Any reason that you picked out 170 to 180 points as your benchmark? Um, I, f- it was uh, not really. It was just kind of like a benchmark number based on kind of looking. Where? Go ahead. Yeah, kind of looking at uh, you know, looking at somebody that just scores 170, right? To me, that means through 17 weeks, uh, really 16 weeks, you've scored, you've averaged more than 10 points um, per week. So to me, that means you're a decent fantasy starter. If you can score more than, if you can score more than 10 points a week, then you're like a good, that's a good fantasy starter. So that's kind of why I picked 170 as a benchmark. So um, one thing that I've been doing, and I don't, you know, like um, even if you do 16 weeks, the reality is, is what we're most concerned about is regular season. Yeah. Um, so I've been starting to look at when I look at that data for points scored, I've been starting to cut it off, cut it off at like week 13 and week 14. Um, just to see. Yeah. Um, so just based on yours, um, that, that benchmark through 16 weeks, that's about 13 points a week. So um, typically 13 points is a startable quality player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh I would also say whenever we're looking at anybody's points, you also want to look at the, the where the player f- like average finish was. So total points, obviously an important statistic, but if they get, you know, like a, a guy like Amari Cooper, he's going to get that in half his games and the other half are going to be, you know, five point. Or right. Yeah. Look at boom or bust, especially with receivers. Yep. Um, so, uh, there's there's definitely websites I use uh, Fantasy Pros a lot where you can just look yep at, that's what I used yep um, where players finish 
as a running back or wide receiver one, where they how many what percentage of games they finished the wide receiver two, or flex quality, or were they a bust? You know, and you want to look at that a little bit because it's good to know. But sometimes what we when we're looking at rankings, you're see you you had an important line. We're influenced by our ranks. You have to be. Yeah. You're looking at data presented to you in a certain order. Right. Like that's just what your mind is going to do. Um, so when you're looking at those ranks, I think it's important whoever's ranks you're going to use, you do look at how they came up with that. Oh, 100%. Um, and some guys, like for myself, like it is a little bit of like, all right, you know, it's a little bit of feel like based on um, one is a little bit of talent look, you know, look at and and then looking at a little bit more of, of some of the other stuff. But I don't do as in depth of a dive as someone who's professional. Right. So if you look at some of these guys and what they look at, you want to look at their project projections sometimes and see if you want to sign on for like if it's a guy who they're projecting to take a big leap. Do you really believe in that? You know, like why? You know, and, and any good person that's doing that is going to have a reason why. And some of that might be a quarterback change, a coach change, mm-hmm. coaching philosophy change, you know, and you want to just know that. So like if you're looking at a, at a wide receiver, like say, say, Juju Smith-Schuster last year is a first-round pick or a second-round pick, depending on your league. He's considered a bust because he didn't produce. Well, they moved him from the slot to the outside, right? And then this year, we're talking about moving him back to the slot, which is where he was two years ago. Well, then it might be worth your while to pull up a, a, a website like Fantasy Pros or Fantasy Pros itself and look at how many times the Steelers line up in, in three wide sets. Yep. You know, how many? What's the percentage of throws to the slot? It might, you know, might be worth it to, to look back at what Ben Roethlisberger's percentage of throws are. And you, so like when you see a guy ranked there that you're like, well, why is he ranked there? Why, what has changed or whatever? It shouldn't only be based on last year's performance because things change year to year. Um, where they're going to line up, some teams sign cornerbacks, you know, that are in the division so that, you know, those, those weeks that they had great weeks against a certain team, it might not be that way. You know, so like there is a little bit of secondary, you know, like I've, I found myself through the pandemic talking about sometimes stats need um, context. Yep. Um, and sometimes you do need that context. So um, just for your own knowledge, when you're looking at ranks, when you print out ranks and you're, you're looking at who you're looking at, um, whoever you're using, just make sure they've done their homework. That is your shortcut. You know, using someone else's ranks is a shortcut for you to have not have to do this research. If you want to use that person's shortcut, make sure you like their shortcut. Right. And even when you do like their shortcut, I, I, it's just responsible to do your due diligence, you know, do your own due diligence and like, how do you feel about a certain player, uh, based on like their, their team who like what their schedules, like their, uh, their age and kind of factor in all of those to kind of, uh, I wouldn't say you have to make your own list. Cause I mean, even that's a lot of work. Um, typically what I do is like, I print out usually the rankings I like and then just kind of make a note about certain players here and there. And, you know, I have a list of those players that I want to keep in mind. Um, and then, you know, kind of like plus or minus for players that I think are lower or higher based on that ranking. Um, so just keeping a, keeping a note of that and, and just being cognizant of that during the draft. But, you know, things change during, during the draft, right. Where you think somebody is, uh, great but they keep falling and then you're like oh did you know kind of gets into your head a little bit uh 
So yeah, I would just say, just do your due diligence. So, um, in and of that you're looking at for yourself is the most effective uh, tactical advantage that's your meta most effective tactical yeah i mean yeah i mean i guess like you know i uh, what based on the based on that whole conversation to tie it in you know the rankings are a little bit of the meta you know these people create the rankings based on a lot of factors and it kind of determines how uh, I think a draft will go. Um, so in that case, yeah, I, I typically do, you know, do follow that to an extent. But then I think once once you kind of get into the later rounds, it's, you know, it, it starts being a little bit more of a free-for-all where people don't go based, people don't pick based off, like, who's at the top of the rank on running back or receiver. And it just kind of, people are thrown uh, throwing a lot more darts. Yeah. So, um, one thing that I always try to caution people on is, is especially like, so you talked about after that third round, right? It's when people start, their personalities really start to show, or maybe the alcohol. Starts yeah. To show. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is again, look, part of the draft is having fun, you know, like, exactly. um, so, uh, no judgments there, but, um, when you're looking at those those picks in the fourth round, they're still very valuable, right? Like yeah. You're still building your core team, but it is where people start to go a little bit off of just rank, 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 rank. And I, I'm not saying that's even wrong. Yeah. But uh, what concerns me is, is like when people are in the fourth round and they start taking that guy that's supposed to go in the eighth round or the ninth round. Yeah. Know, like, um, so one of the things I have in there um and one of our points of maybe contention of, of, or debate is is that like i'd rather start a trend or miss it and um when i say that what i why i say that is like say you get to that fourth round and then right so now travis kelsey's off the board um kittle goes off the board now zach Ertz goes off the board well do you want to be the guy that's not just taking Darren Waller, but is taking three guys ranked after Darren Waller or, or Mark Andrews, depending on your ranks right now. Mm-hmm. So when I want to miss a trend or when I say I want to start or miss it, because those guys, to me, they don't represent fourth round upside. Yeah. Right? Like they represent, there's there's going to be a guy that's going to well overproduce his draft capital, but some of those guys, are you're drafting them at their ceiling. Right. You know, you're drafting him as the best case scenario is them finishing as tight end five or tight end six. Um, so when I'm talking about missing a trend, that's what I'm talking like. Um, my phrase was, you don't want to go, go gadget arm reach. Yep. And I feel like when you get caught up in those trends, sometimes people get so nervous because they're like, oh, my God, what if I wait? Who am I going to have to take? I'm going to have some teams back up tight end, you know, like or, or quarterback or, or name a position. That is on a run where you're thinking about taking a guy well above where their ceiling is or where I would consider maybe some of these guys their ceiling is. And um, that's when I say I want to miss a trend. That's what I'm talking about. I don't mind if you're going to take Kittle around early. You know, like that's that's fine to me. The top three guys at those one positions, uh, it's a little knock on wood. Um, 
typically you're pretty comfortable. Those guys have a built-in role. We know what to expect from those guys. And when you start getting in that that you know fifth round or fifth pick, especially when you're looking at tight end, um, those guys are usually guys that might end with a good amount of points, but week to week. You know, you're, you're getting as many three and four point weeks as you are nine point weeks, which is still isn't great. You know, like, what are you expecting from this guy? So, like, do I want to take that player? Do I want to wait and take a guy that I think has a good ceiling and is a lot cheaper because he could be nothing mm-hmm. or doesn't have much of a track record at all? Right. Which was when I throw Darren Waller's name out there. That was my name last year. And I'm not a clairvoyant. It just was a, a nice pick, you know, like whatever. But he's a guy that went so late. I'd rather miss taking that fourth or fifth. Well, maybe not fourth, but like that fifth to eighth tight end to take the risk of a later guy and try to bolster my other position. Right. Who might just be maybe like 13 up points, you know, above and plus or minus that guy that like you could have taken, you know, for that trend. But rather instead of taking that guy, you, you could just take a better receiver or running back um, and get way more value out of that. Um, so I think that's interesting because I've, uh, I've done that with uh, specifically my case uh, in multiple years has been OJ Howard <laughs> guy who I always think is going to pop off. And I'm like, this guy's a physical freak of nature. Like he's going to pop off. He's going to do it. And I have done it in a past where I've just, I've reached for him. Right. I think everybody has reached for somebody. Um, and I think one of those, uh, that's probably like one of the uh, most probable causes of, of that is, you know, a bunch of people start taking and a bunch of tight ends and you're like, oh shit, like everyone's going to take all the tight ends. But I have this one tight end that I really like who I think is going to do good. Um, and I'm going to take that. And so what I, what I really liked that you have in, uh, in that blog post is when you say that, I'd prefer to make two picks close together. So that's kind of being in the, like, especially if you're doing a snake draft, being in that, like, one to three, one to four position or 10 to 12 position. And it's it was funny that you said that. And one of the reasons I kind of have it in my notes here is because every single time I've done a draft and I'm, like, in that position, I feel so much better about my draft because I don't have to wait. I can kind of, you know, I can kind of tune out a little bit about what's going on in the draft um, because I have a long time to wait, right? Like you're, like, let's say you go 12 and then you have your next pick, but then you have to, like, you know, you can go to the bathroom, get another beer, wherever you're at. You can chill. Like, uh, you, you, you can kind of not really it's much easier to tune that out. Right. Whereas like if you're in the middle where you're going from like five, six, seven, uh, you don't really have that break. So you're kind of always like, you're kind of way more into the draft. Uh, and I'm kind of one of those guys that likes to, you know, I, I, when I draft, uh, I'm not one of those people that like my first four rounds are only going to be running backs. Uh, it's just not how I am. I like to try to get value in every position. Uh, that's just been my draft kind of strategy. Just try to get uh, try to get a running back that's going to score me a consistent amount of points. Second running back, probably not going to get me as much, but like get me a decent amount. I want to get a good number one wide receiver. 
and then good quarterback, good tight end, try to fill those spots, make a very balanced team because at the end of the day, I can only fill as many slots as I can. I can't fill, I I can't start four running backs. So I'm going to try to make it as balanced as possible. And so kind of where that draft flow click kicks in is everyone goes on a streak of wide receivers. Okay. Do I have enough wide? Do I have two starting wide receivers in my roster or do I have another flex play? Should I reach for a wide receiver now just in case that guy is not going to be available in the next couple rounds? Um, so I, I think being in being in those like later uh, those, those first or later ra- uh, later picks, they make it much easier to kind of kind of tune that out and kind of makes it much easier to kind of see where since you're like you know back to back pretty much. It's much easier to see where the holes in uh where the holes are kind of in your roster and see like where you want to fill those holes versus where you have people like valued. So, um, like historically, when I pick later, I do better. Um, that's just you know I know that that sounds counterintuitive. You know, obviously everybody you know like it's not saying I wouldn't love to sit there and end up with um, Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey or or. Um, Zeke or, or Alvin Kamara, you know, that's that I just tend to do better with the later pick. And I feel like why that is and, and, and kind of why I prefer to pick there is like when you're picking early second, I feel like you're getting fringe first round talent. So if you miss on one of those players, you typically still have a guy that's of equal value that you're getting right there. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be the same position. And then when you're picking early, when you're picking like late in the second, you're almost getting third round talent. Yeah. You know, and then you're not, when you're, again, it's the same idea, right? So now, now I'm not picking again until the fourth round and I'm kind of not getting, kind of get closer to fifth round talent. So um, now obviously again, not only is every draft different, but people are going to take unconventional picks. So some guys are going to fall, but you can't expect, you know, someone eight picks ahead of you takes an unconventional pick. That doesn't mean that, this great player that should have gone there is going to fall to you. You know, there's still eight people kicking between your or seven people kicking between your pick. But um, it's funny you say that you kind of like to round out your roster, right? Because now you're going to talk about two guys who do it really differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not locked in to pick. Like I try to, um, when I, when I get to my draft, I'm not locked into a certain strategy. I'm not saying like, I need to get this position filled or that position filled. I want to look at what, guys are there and, and do I think that they're worth it um, and then see what, which guy I want to pick and um, I will say that like historically I will end up with like out of my first four picks three will be running backs historically that's just the way it works mm-hmm. at worst it's going to be two and two um, it's very rare that you'd see me take quarterback or a tight end in that top five picks and even when you get to the top eight or nine, like I usually don't end up taking those positions until later. And uh, my philosophy there is, well, one is, right, I, I, I we've talked about I don't want to get locked into these things where, oh, crap, all of a sudden Mahomes and Jackson are gone. I've got Kyler Murray rated. I want him, you know, like I'm just going to take him here regardless of if I think that he should go two rounds later. Uh but more or less what I'm do, trying to do is like, look, a lot of players get hurt, especially running backs. Mm-hmm. A lot, you know, like 
and and or there are uh, running. I I will always rest on, and we talked about it earlier. Running back is the most important position. So if I believe that to be the case, I want as many tickets for that fifty-fifty as I can get. You know, like I want a guy who I'm going to draft in the third, fourth, or fifth round that either is a rookie or is part of a committee that I I think is the better player, uh, and that I think can win the job. And, and looks. Sometimes those picks fall flat on your face, but I'm not drafting them to be my running back one or running back two or wide receiver one or wide receiver two sometimes. Right. You know, like, um, so point being is, is there's not a right or wrong way to do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You draft a lot different than I do. Mm -hmm. Both of us draft a lot different than some of the other people who we talk about as being consistently in the top end. Mm -hmm. I know because I just did the chart. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you get a lot of different philosophies. Like I would say that a lot of times what you get from me is a little bit of like a mixture of high-end guys and safe guys, high-end guys and safe guys, or what you think are safe guys. And from some other people, you just get like high, high, high high-end guys or, you know, best available player or, you know, like the the term is value-based draft, drafting, where it's like they're always taking what they think is the best value regardless of position when they pick. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some guys are just... You know, some players follow them that they believe in, and they're just, that's what works for them. But there isn't necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. You're not going to, you know, like, maybe your brother's draft last year was the wrong way to do it. But, um, <laughs> but um, the reality is, is, like, there's been people that, that have very good seasons that take don't take a running back to the fourth round. I wouldn't advise someone to do that. Right. But there are people that do it and, and have success. Um, I'm not going to sit there and tell them that their success is fake or flawed. I, I just don't agree with it. That's not the way I'm going to go about it. Right. Or it might. With- yeah. Or it might not be based on, you know, your understanding of it and like just the percentage of getting or hitting on like a running back that's going to start. Uh, that becomes like your, you know, top tier running back hitting on that guy on in the fifth or sixth round is, you know, pretty rare. Right. But when you do hit on that, uh, especially when you've picked three, just three wide receivers, you barely have a running back, then, you know, it all work and it all ends up working out. Right. That's kind of the magic of fantasy is that it just doesn't, there's no right way to do things because, you know, so much shit happens and, or, you know, there's rookies that come out, um, that just do super amazing and you just don't know about them out of, you know, a bunch of other guys that just had potential to do that. And a lot of the times of the ways I've won all of my, actually pretty much most of, uh, most of the times I've won in any, any fantasy football league where it was yours or, um, one of our other friends and uh, my work league, it's usually because I get some kind of really, really good value late. Um, that's, you have to. that's exactly, that's like usually when you hit on those late rounds, I think that is kind of what makes or breaks your team because you can have, you know, you're going to pick your first round, second round talent and chances are maybe, uh, you know, they'll probably do well. They might not do as well as last season. They'll still put up good numbers. They're not going to do really well. But 
the fact, uh, let's say you hit on somebody, uh, for example, uh, somebody I hit on um, when they were a rookie was Michael Thomas. I drafted him, I think, in the 16th round when he was a rookie. Uh, it was the same way with Odell Beckham when I think I won the f- second time in, 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 in our league was I looked at a rookie and I was like, oh, this guy's good. I like him, read a bunch about him, read the combine, looked at some of his games. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna take a shot at him. Um, and those are usually the guys that kind of kind of put you over the edge or can carry your team. Um, so even if somebody, let's say, maybe doesn't draft as conventional, you would say, in the first three rounds, they hit on that guy that just, you know, dominates and does very well. Like the value you get from that is usually what puts you over the edge or, or makes uh, makes your season quote unquote successful. Yeah, um, I actually had referenced Joe Del Beckham uh, pick because he came on like the last four weeks right of the regular season mm-hmm. and then just was hot through the championship week and because um, we were talking. You know, when we talked about league winners yesterday, yep. and, and this is kind of what I'm talking about, or was talking about when we're talking about league winners, is that super late round value. Now, um, one of the things I put in my 10 draft commandments was um, that the draft is not your, your destiny. You know, like the draft is the start of the season, it's not your destiny. Oh, yeah. Because not only are these guys late round picks, sometimes they're free agents. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but you what you want is to have a team that's decent enough that this player pushes you over the edge. Not that you, like, if this is your only player, it does nothing for you. You went from scoring 80 points to 90 points, and that's not enough to win most weeks. Or, or you went from scoring 70 points to 90 points, and it's still not enough. You need you still need to have hit on some players. You still, you know, like, you get these guys, it helps a, a ton. Mm-hmm. It helps a ton, but it only helps if you do have other players. And that's kind of when we talk about league winners and we're talking about, about this and draft flow. Um, and, and this is why I want to miss that trend of those onesie players, the quarterback and tight end is because I want ticket. I want tickets to the Jonathan Taylor show. <laughs> I want tick, you know, like um, I want tickets to a guy who he's a rookie. He's running behind a great offensive line. We don't know what the workload is, but I know that the guys in front of him, talent wise, they didn't get it done last year, right? Even behind that line, right? So, like, give me tickets to the Jonathan Taylor show. Give me tickets to, um, I mean, Hilaire's now going to be a first round pick. Um, now that Damian Harris has opted out of the season, he's probably going to be a first or second round pick, Clyde. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, but when you look at some of these other guys, there's a guy that you're going to want tickets. You know, I just put, I want tickets to James Conner show. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is a guy who's finished top five. Still a good offensive line and an offense that year in, year out wants to give the ball to one running back. Yeah. So those guys are going in the third, fourth, and fifth round. So when I say, like, I want to miss the trend, it's because I want to take these guys. I want, I don't just, I want the lottery ticket, but I want the scratch offs too. You know, like, I want my one in five chance, but I also want my one in a hundred chance. Like, you know, like, I want my free ticket, but I also want a chance at winning $10,000. You know, like, and that's kind of, when I want to load up, I'm not loading up on a bunch of guys. Like I, I don't, I'm not going to take a bunch of guys that are just like, all right, I'm going to take um, Devin Singletary. I'm going to take Jordan Howard. 
I'm going to take David Montgomery. Like those are nice players. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but I don't want all three of them. Mm -hmm. Those guys don't represent, I mean, they could prove me wrong, but they don't represent the highest of upside like a Taylor or like a Connor does. Connor can finish in the top three. You know, like if, if he's healthy, he's only 25 years old, good line. Ben plays if that's a good offense. That's a guy who has that ceiling. We know it. He's done it. You know, so I want to mix a little bit of those safe guys with those lottery tickets. I want something that's going to give me a chance to keep playing, but I also want the chance for a guy that's going to push me over the edge. I don't want to be a, so in our league, you should, everybody should do some form of this exercise to know how many points you need to score to win per week. In our league last year, you needed about 115 to, that would put you over the median, the highest median every week. So 115 points should win you most weeks mm-hmm. uh, on average. Well, I don't want a team that's pushing 100 to 115. You know, like that's going to lose you as much as it wins you. You know, like you might still get those good matchups and whatever, but I want the team that's going to put up between 110 and 120. Mm-hmm. So you need to build a team that's not just those 10 to 12 point guys, you need to build a team that has the potential. You can't be all those guys that have potential, but you have to build a team that has the potential for that mid round guy to break out or that late round guy to break out. In order to do that, you have to draft guys for upside. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, That's a good point, especially when I'm looking at, uh, at least with my draft strategy, when I'm looking at filling, uh, you know, that second running back or second wide receiver or even flex play, right? Uh, I'm kind of what I'm looking for is not somebody that's, you know, who's had like eight years in the league, maybe might produce a decent season, kind of sometimes produces points. Like, you know, I kind of don't want that out of my flex. I want somebody, I want somebody that's that has the potential or the ceiling to like break out and have like a really good game, um, and and kind of just put you over the edge because you know sometimes like you kind of said. Sometimes you're going to have good matchups in fantasy. Other times you kind of get boned and you're playing the person that, you know, has Lamar Jackson and scores 50 points and uh, has like 150 points and you're like, well, I can't do anything about that. Like I kind of want, I want somebody that can match up to that or has the potential to, or I want a roster that just has the potential to do that, right? So you're going to have a mix of, I think, you, you kind of want a mix of safe players, but you also want like a mix of these, like I I, also, I don't want to say boom or bust, but these players that can, you know, score a lot of points. Um, and I think having that balance is, is kind of important. Kind of like, kind of like having a stock portfolio, right? Kind of, you have your safe, you have your safe stocks, you know, you have your Amazon, your Microsoft, but then you have like maybe something a little bit more risky, you know, something you throw something in there, if it works, it does you pretty well. But if you lose, no harm, no foul. Like, I got other things that are keeping me going. Yeah, so um, one of the other analogies I had was uh, horse racing. So um, with fantasy football, you and I, we don't have much outcome, right? When we bet on a horse, we don't have much outcome on what the horse is going to do. Yeah. Um, but we want to try and, and put our money in, in the better odds. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to throw 10 bucks on the long shot. Right. Right. Like 
that could cover your your month's worth of gambling if you're that kind of gambler. <laughs> so um, the the point is, and and when so in the in the in the subject matter in the subject matter of draft flow, this is why I look at draft flow as being so important because you don't you really don't want to overpay for a guy that does not have that right i don't want to i don't want to put ten dollars on an eight dollar to, to win you know like i that doesn't that's not worth it to me for for a position that's not the difference like if you have a, t- a top end tight end or a guy that really overproduced obviously that might be the difference for you but if you're telling me tight end seven on an average is going to be the difference between you winning and losing i'm going to tell you you're wrong yeah. you, that 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 five to seven points you can find that you can find that and um so i want to I, I keep me away from that player let me save myself from myself there um because i can tell you like when i drafted before i would ride that a little bit oh crap quarterbacks are going you know i gotta take one and what, what is the difference you know sometimes you have to look at what is the difference in these guys if you're talking about if you look at projections if if your cheat sheet has that, and they're talking about the projection is a difference in 10 points spread over 16 weeks. And there's a guy that represents a significant teardrop in another position. Miss me with this trend. I don't need it. Right. You know, let, let me get a guy who, who represents that potential. And, and I think that the other part is, is in order to, for, to, to play the odds there, you've got to take a couple guys that have that potential. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, no, exactly, and 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 even looking at uh, looking at tight ends on my other screen, I have tight ends right here. Um, to your point, that kind of looking at like kind of what the first guy does versus like the sixth guy, uh, it's cr- crazy drop off. Like with you know, I'm looking at 2019 season. You have like Travis Kelsey with 203 points, and then there's a drop off to then to George Kittle, which is 178. And then you have these guys that are in the like 178, uh, once, yeah, 170 range, 180 range. And then you just have this massive drop off to like 90. Right. So, um, and my point here is, is like, so I, just to stay true to my own statistics, mm-hmm. I do week one through week 14, just because right, of, right, right. that's more of a regular season. Look. Gotcha. So, um, but because when I'm going to start spanning off, it's going to sound a lot different, right? So Travis Kelsey is your first uh, tight end off the board. And then I'm looking at Zach Ertz as your second tight end off the board. Um, so I'm looking at week, weeks one through 14, right? And George Kittle was the third last year. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about 164, 152, 130, right? So and that's spread over 14 weeks, not a huge difference. But Mark Andrews wasn't a top-end tight end pick. Darren Waller, these are three and four through that time. Mm-hmm. We're not top-end tight end picks. So let's not even talk about those guys, right? Because those are guys that well overproduced. Yep. So when you're looking at those, these guys that, that where I'm talking about, where like the, um, the Hunter Henrys, the Jason Wittens, the Evan Ingrams, the Kyle Rudolphs, those are the guys that were like the middle tier guys, I believe. Maybe even Jared Cook, um, right? Because I know that Mark Andrews and Darren Waller do not represent hot, did not represent high end draft capital. Mm-hmm. 
So when I look at those guys and I'm looking at weeks one through 14, the difference between Jared Cook and Hunter Henry is four points. Um, spread over 14 weeks. The difference between Hunter Henry and Greg Olson is 10 points. Spread over 14 weeks. You know, like, and it, so when you get down from that, like, seven to 14, which are the range of outcomes probably when you're taking tight end six, the difference is 20 points over 14 weeks, a little over a point a week. Right. It's not a huge difference. You know, yeah. It's, it's not a huge difference. So when I'm looking at that, is it actually worth it? Especially in the range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm just trying to look at a name that was, you know, like, that was a little, might have, might have still been expensive. Eric Ebron was not a cheap draft pick, you know, like for tight end. He finishes with 70. So people are drafting Eric Ebron at his absolute ceiling last yep. year. And what did he give you? You know, like, it's a position I only need to start one player. If I had to start two or, or if there was some premium set at tight end, I might feel a lot different. But if you don't really get those top three to four guys, um, once that cliff happens, like once you get the difference in that, the rest are all very similar. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my point is like, is it worth getting the same guy that might just still be there three rounds later? Or do I want to just wait completely and try to take a lottery ticket on that position because I know I only need to start one? Yeah. And if the difference between tight end 26 and tight end 12, which would be the borderline starter, is 20 points spread over 14 weeks, I'm just not sure that it's worth that investment. Right. If it's worth really following that trend and just rather just going with a – running back or receiver who you think might pop off or uh, who's projected to have a sort of decent year to have that back up, you know, it might not be worth picking that tight end at the time. Right. So. Because what, what, do, yeah, what do I want? One is I want a backup in case I've got an injury or right. a bust, right? You're going to have one of those. You, you need to start. Most people aren't going to start a tight end in their flex, right? Yeah. So you need to start two running backs, two wide receivers, and a flex that's going to be a running back or wide receiver. So, like, that cost, if I'm not getting, like, look, I'm not going to tell you I would love to have Travis Kelsey. You know, like, it, come on, the guy year in and year out so far has been the number one. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say that he's Since not Gronk, yeah. worth the pick. I'm just not likely to take him where he's going. Um, and then if I don't take the other two guys that are going around him, again, that have some track record of being top end i'm just not sure because of the range of outcomes sorry i'm, I'm like doing hand gestures that aren't on camera yeah, good. <laughs> um, because of the range of outcomes um when you get to those guys that don't have a clear workload um i don't want to pay for a guy that i you know like look right now this year if you're telling me like i can get johnu smith you know, seven rounds later than I can get Austin Hooper or six rounds later and I can get Austin Hooper, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Right? Or even if it's three rounds later, sign me up. I don't know what to expect out of that Cleveland offense. I don't know what Austin Hooper's role is there. But he's much more expensive than a guy that I see with upside, Mike Kosicki or John U. Smith, who I think has a ton of upside, right? And a, and a much more clear role on their team well i don't think you know like i'm not sure that Tannehill is is the best quarterback in the league 
I think that Jonu Smith is a very good athlete. He reminds me a lot of what, you know, Darren Waller reminded me of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but those guys are so much cheaper, and you can get them so much later, and they represent. If you tell me next year Mike Kosicki finished as a, as a tight end three in the top three, you'd be like, you know what? I should have saw that coming. He's been building. He's been getting better each year. He hasn't been very efficient, so if he cleans up his catches, that is in his range of outcomes. He is that level of an athlete, and he has been getting better every year since coming in. And tight ends historically take about three to four years to get better. Right, yeah. I was just going to say that. Like, tight end is just one of those positions that is kind of pretty hard to to master. Um, and it just takes guys. Like, I, I don't even think Zach Ertz started doing well until, you know, he's been in the league for, what I want to say, like, what, he's 27. So he's been in the league for, like, what, five years, six years? Uh, something like that. And he hasn't even... and he didn't do well. Uh, or Beckert is now 29. Oh, he's 29. Oh, sorry. I was thinking, cause they drafted da- Dallas Goddard when he was 27. That's right. So, so he's Beckert's been in the league since 2013, 2013. Right. And he wasn't any good. Uh, I wouldn't say any good, but fantasy wise, he didn't really produce any points. He wasn't worth anybody really looking at, but now he's, you know, usually ranked as like the third best tight end uh, yes. for the last three years. So, uh, you know, it just take it just takes those guys uh, a while. And you know, even looking at even looking at the last year's fantasy producers, you know, I'm looking at uh, somebody who I think, uh, you know, and I know I'm talking more about Philly sports here. Somebody that I think is probably going to overtake Zach Ertz because he's way more talented is Dallas Goddard. Um, He's on he's on this list. He's I think what number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He's tenth on this list. So and this is this is last year's uh uh fantasy score top fantasy scorer. So he's number tenth out of tight ends. Out of like Zach Ertz, I think is five and Dallas Goddard's ten. Um you know, I don't get Zach Ertz. I mean, Zach Dallas Goddard's younger. He's technically more talented. I might put my money on him later in the round, you know? Well, and you also have a team, and, and we'll get off of just kind of being homers. You also right. have a team that there's a dearth at, at wide receiver. You know, it looks like uh, Alshon would start on the pup, and who knows how long that goes for. Who knows what he's like when he gets back. Um, they really are going to be relying on a rookie um, at wide receiver to, to produce a lot. So, um that offense is really going to go through the two tight ends and running back, and which is also why I'm really high on Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's out of the Dallas Goddard range of outcomes to finish better than Zach Ertz. You know, like right. uh, definitely not. You know, um, but that's my point. Right? Is this guy already finished at starter quality at ten? You can still get him pretty cheap. Um, I'm going to just pull up real quick expert consensus rankings so we're not pulling things out of our butts right. for um, uh, where things should go um, as far as tight end goes because I kind of pulled some uh, out of my butt when it came to Johnny Smith and, and uh, Austin Cooper. So Johnny Smith right now, expert consensus ranking is tight end 15. Dallas Goddard right now is consensus ranking tight end 17. So right now 
um, ranked outside of what would be starter quality, which would be top 12, right? You, have te- you only start one at the position, and there's 12 teams in the league. Mm-hmm. So you need top 12, would, you know, outside of 12 would be outside of um, starter quality. Right. Well, so when I start looking at these these guys that are above them, and do I want to pay the price of admission? I've got Darren Waller, who did it one year. Um, they drafted it, uh, Ruggs in Las Vegas. You got to figure Henry or uh, Renfro is going to get more more uh, catches. You got to figure like so. Does he finish in the top five again? Um, Evan Ingram is there. There's a lot of mouths to feed on the Giants with an inconsistent quarterback. Hunter Henry can never stay healthy. Tyler Higby is a guy that came on at the very end of the season. We're still not quite sure what he is. They're gonna when a, when a trend of tight ends are gonna go, and if it's going in the fourth or fifth round, do I want to pay the price of admission for those guys? Or for Hayden Hurst, who's now in Atlanta, you know, or Austin Hooper, Noah Fant. These are the guys who I'm saying I'd rather wait and take the upside of a Jonu Smith than get wrapped up in the in the trend of having to take a Tyler Higby early. Right. Or yeah, or even Rob Gronkowski too. Even how that's gonna work out is you know. Like, that's a team that doesn't really go through tight ends that much, you know, just based and on even, Bruce Arian's system and being out of the league one year. Uh, you know, if, if I'm kind of – if that tight end train is going and Rob Gronkowski's still there, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of iffy on it, you know. If, if, if it is a trend where I feel like I'd have to reach, I'm iffy on it. Right. Now, if Rob Gronkowski falls, I feel different. Right, you know? yeah, because exactly. Again, I know that there's upside, but I it's risky. It's more risky. Like I think that, like personally, it's more risky upside than than Johnny Smith represents. But the upside is through the roof. I mean, you're talking about many moons ago. Talking about a guy who caught 18 touchdowns one year. You know, like, um, but you're talking about a guy who's a year removed, lost a ton of weight, put on a ton of weight. I just don't know what to expect there. Right, and, and his and his injury history, like, is well known. So to me, like, and I'm 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 more high on a guy like Johnu Smith, who, like, I know that team loves its tight ends. I know they love Delaney Walker, but now that he's not there, um, he's probably going to be go the go to guy, right? Um, they handed the ball off to him last year. I mean, like. <laughs> There's runs. You could pull up Johnny Smith and see with him running. Yeah, like um, I don't want to let the cat out of the but but also when you look later on, like do I want to overpay or do I want to take a lottery ticket on Irv Smith in Minnesota? Do I you know like Dawson Knox? Like there's other guys that are late that still represent some upside that are even later than the guys that we're talking about. That it's just like. Do I want to take a guy who I'm taking them at their absolute ceiling and the cost is high? Yeah. And that's when I talk about trends at quarterback, at tight end, it could even be wide receiver because there is not the same cliff at wide receiver than, than there, as there is at running back. So it could even be wide receiver in a third round when I think that I want, I like the third round running back talent. Um, do I really want to start paying for guys at their best case scenario or do I want to get a guy? at their worst case scenario when they have a range of outcomes where their best case scenario is so good. Yeah. So actually one of the things I was just thinking of, um, and I think this kind of goes into draft flow too. 
because uh, you kind of start seeing is actually when it comes to drafting defenses, um, this is the one I kind of see them uh, a lot of is when people start taking, uh, especially this happens and obviously this happens in later round where people just start like a bunch of people just start taking defenses. Um, and that defenses are that this one defenses have always been a kind of an interesting subject or interesting thing with fantasy because I know it changes so much every year. Like whatever the top ranked defenses is probably not going to be the top ranked defense next year. It's just, it's very hard to repeat that, but also at the same time, uh, because I know I have to start a defense spot, right. And by the later rounds, you're kind of just throwing darts at this point And, you know, I've thrown my darts at these rookies and people that I think might be good in, in the, you know, wide receiver, running back, um, you know, backup quarterback. Uh, I've kind of already fulfilled those needs, right? But I have a need at defense. And I, I think one of two things can happen. I can draft a defense that I think will be good because I kind of don't want to have that, like, FOMO. Um, because with defense, especially because there's only 32 of them, uh, I don't, I, I kind of don't want to miss out maybe on like a decent starting defense. Um, especially ones that are getting like 20 points per game. That's, you know, defense can, a good defense can make, uh, make your roster way, way better. Um, so I, I don't think it's, I don't think you should overlook it. Uh, but at the same time, I know that there's good defenses always there on the waivers that like that first or second week, you know, that end up finishing like top five, um, at the end of the season. So I, I feel like draft flow, I think with defense, uh, that's kind of the one that's kind of affecting me a little bit because I, I have that like FOMO moment, you know, fear of missing out. And I don't want to draft like, I want to draft at least sort of a solid defense to get me by and then maybe like throw darts and waiver wires to try to get that top defensive player. I don't know what, what you thought about that. Um, so there is no such thing as a bust after round 10. Mm-hmm. And you can even say round nine. So whatever, if people want to take a defense, um, that's our, even the better ones are going no earlier than round seven. You know, I, I wouldn't say even like um, whoever, you know, was the best defense last year going into the preseason. But you're talking about drafting. You're not just you look at it as you're starting one position, but really you're drafting 53 guys at once. And there's so much turnover and there's so much change in in the division where teams rise and fall that it's hard to know that the match and schedules change. Right. What the matchups are really going to be. So, like, personally, like. I put as much thought into defense as I do kicker, which luckily we got rid of kickers. But um, mm-hmm. and what what I mean by that is like I'll take the the defense at the end of the draft or close to the end of the draft or after everybody's taking a defense, and I'm just like I've got five running backs, five wide receivers, whatever. I'll take a defense now, and I try to do that based on like a defense that I think has like a good week one matchup that's left. Um, and I base that on like who's playing against the rookie quarterback week one. You know, or, or who's playing against a really bad quarterback we've won. Um, and that's kind of, or, or a historically bad offense. Um, 
And that's kind of what I do because my opinion is, is like defense don't really, they don't really take shape in who's good or bad until about week four. Right. Um, and I have historically, uh, again, cat out of the bag thing. And I, I doubt, like, I just think there's things that I do that people don't either have the time or patience to do. So I have historically been able to grab a top five defense off of the waivers year in and year out. And I do that a little bit based on like if, if a team plays, puts two good defensive games in a row together, a lot of times I'll grab them. Hmm, that's interesting. And just see what, and just see what they're going to do. And um, a lot of times what you're looking for is like, just to, you can stream a defense and be okay. Um, I don't want to necessarily stream a defense because you are going to miss out on some of the higher end performers, but teams will go through waves where like, whatever happens, you know, like either their schedule is really good for a four week span or whatever. And you want whoever's going to hit that wave at the end of the season. So again, not necessarily be married to who you pick up on the waivers, but um, there's teams to be grabbed and there's teams that just get hot, you know, um, for whatever reason, they end up getting a lot of sacks, you know, like whatever a player gets an end gets hot. A cornerback starts playing well whatever it is, because that's what you're looking for is turnovers and sacks, right? Like they're, they're the predictable, uh, not, I don't want to say predictable, but they're the point scoring things for defenses. You, you can't really bank on points allowed, you know, even teams get up by monster points and then there's just these garbage points that gets scored against defenses, right? So you're not going to bank your defense on points allowed. Even yards allowed at this point isn't necessarily a good thing to bank on. You're banking on sacks and turnovers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a pass rush is better than than people expect it to be, or whatever happens that certain thing gets hot that gets defenses points. And I just feel like draft a defense that you think is has a good matchup week one or week one and week two, and then be fluid in picking up a team that might be putting together some points um, as it's going. Like, um. Again, what do I need out of my defense? Yeah, if I can get 20 points out of my defense, yeah, hell that's yeah. huge. Yeah, hell yeah. But like, really, I'm looking for 10, um, 10 to 20. Uh, and I'm just not sure that you're when you're drafting it, it's quite as predictable as it is with other positions. You're not doing this like I'm drafting 53 players because I see this huge upside with this defense. It's just a lot of defense is just based on last year's performance and personnel turns over right and and for me when i look at defense i I try to look at like all right did they add a bunch of key people or did they lose a lot of people do they have the same defensive coordinator um well how does their schedule look like uh next year uh those are kind of the uh things i look for but um again i'm also not uh you know, I'm not married to one defense at all. Like you said, I'll, I'll usually, you know, because kind of the draft flow is taking me towards defenses and, you know, that happens to be a roster spot that, you know, again, I like to fill my positions up. Um, I'll try to take somebody that's like, that has like consistent track record, like a Baltimore Ravens defense or something like that. Um, who've historically speaking have done pretty well. Um, but I know even that can change, you know, year to year and I won't take, I won't draft two defenses. I'll draft one and then 
it's going to be waiver wires from 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 there on out. Yeah, I mean, um, those positions where you start one, I usually only roster one. Right. I mean, um, unless for some reason there's a guy that I take that I want to that I want to hold. Um, but for the most part, those one positions I only I only roster one. Right, and, and then waiver during the buy. Yeah, and and I'm always. I mean, if you look at statistically my moves, I'm always making a ton of them. Um, and some of that is like I'm just again I do that not just with defense like yeah I do that with players do that with players and then do that with players where you think you need an upgrade like don't just if a guy has a big week and you have the roster space to do it grab him you know sometimes you got to ride the flames yep so um, we kind of we went mm-hmm. on here for a little bit yeah <laughs> uh, which is fine um, because it's a big topic with many threads to pull on. Um, but I want to make sure that we hit, we definitely hit what we wanted to discuss. Um, and we definitely hit a lot of like, kind of just philosophy in general, which is what draft flow is. Draft flow is a philosophy of um, how you want to approach your draft and also how you want to ride the draft. So, um, I am more interested in how I construct my roster than I am how the picks are going other than crossing off players off my list. And then who I'm looking at as these are the five names I'm looking at that might get back to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want to be worried. Look, every yes, you want to get a top 12 tight end because you don't want to end up necessarily having to take a, a guy who's, 15, 16, or, or a guy who's starting behind someone else at a one position. Uh, but the reality is, is most teams aren't going to draft two tight ends. There's going to be someone there. And then I would just say, if, if that's the case, just be comfortable with, you know, like I drafted somewhere else earlier. I don't need to do this. And I feel that, you know, like it burned me last year. And some of that I burned myself last year, quarterback, but I almost do the same thing at quarterback where like categorically year in and year out the number one or number two quarterback was not one of the top five or a lot of times even 10 off the board. Yeah. You know? Um, so when I'm looking at quarterback, I'm looking for the high floor guys. That's why, you know, your brother, your brother can attest to this. You see me take a lot of running quarterbacks and that's been the case since 2005. Mm-hmm. It's 10, 10 yards to a point of running. Right. Um, 25 yards to a point passing. So if they get 50 yards rushing or 20 yards rushing, that two or five points really goes a long way to get you to that 20 you need as a position. So anyway, point being is, is like, I don't carry two. I don't usually draft those, those positions early because I don't like taking guys at their best case scenario. Give me um, some of these guys that are, that are later, that represent a good upside. Uh, last year I took Winston and I gave up on him a lot, way too early. And I feel like that is the difference between what I ha- would have had it. If I would have had Winston, I would have been a top end team. Um, and it really made me a middling team last year. Um, but he was there. I took him in like the third, he's my first quarterback I took in the 13th round. Point being is, is like, that is a management problem. That is not a drafting problem. That mm-hmm. is not a, value problem that is a management problem that is on me but my point is is that 
you don't need to ride those waves because these guys are out there and they're not just one of them. There's a lot of guys who outperform those draft spots, maybe not to a Lamar Jackson level, but maybe to a Jameis Winston level. And know yourself. And when you start getting that anxiety of crap, there's four, there's five, there's six tight ends off the board. It's my picks coming up in three picks. Should I just take a tight end? I don't have one. I, I want one. And it's not even a guy you like. You're just taking it because you're, you're worried. So when you feel that anxiety bubble, my feeling is, is it will pass. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a kind of a good takeaway from this is, you know, just keep your kind of try to keep your, you know, obviously have fun in the draft, but keep your emotions in check when maybe it comes to like wave of players that, you know, you've really wanted. And so you kind of just, settle on maybe one that you're not in love with just because you know that position's going and you have like a fear of missing out uh moment so just i guess good takeaways just try to stick to like who you believe in is good and try to get good uh try to get good value and and kind of look at your ranks consult them and don't just take somebody because there's a trend going you know try to try to look past it and if it's not a good value just don't don't do it um you know we all make the mistake we've all done it 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 all happens to us but you know i think the more you minimize those things the more like the more consistently better i think your drafts will be and and the more consistently you might do in fantasy you know they're based on uh based on the the data that we have for our league and you know there's obviously people that do better than others right and you know whether that's drafting or through waiver wires there's you know uh, through a game that's based on luck there is some method to the madness right and i think this is just one of those things that uh you want to be aware of for sure um when the draft's happening but you don't want to get caught up in it because that might sway you to making maybe that's a, maybe a decision that's not so good. Yeah, and and avoid the in doing that avoid that feeling that I need to reach on a guy either. Right. right? Like so, I think that what you see, and part of all of this was uh, with making the charts, making the league history thing, going through the picks. Part of all of this was trying to nail down what is it that separates those players like what makes the difference what correlates with success is it certain positions drafted is it uh, a certain amount of moves made is there a magic number there is there a magic number just and looking at our team we feel like there's consistently good teams is that so are the consistently good teams actually consistently good or are is there a lot of luck right like some of putting the lead like so there's a week by week chart thing that I do every season and then there's a league history chart thing that I do every season and part of the league week by week was like all right a team is you know above 500 are they actually good or are they lucky right or is this actually a good team or are they just running into a good matchup right do they have the least points against scored uh scored against them that's always the most interesting uh kind of stat like stat to look at is looking at like points scored versus points against and seeing and seeing the difference between the two because you'll you'll see very quickly like people who have very low points scored against them are obviously probably gonna 
have a better record most likely, but they might not have a good team. No. And, uh, but when you look at the team, like, so the teams who are usually towards the top do have a lower point scored because they're putting up like those players are on, not on the other teams rosters, right? Like you don't usually, you don't always see teams who are like number one in points scored number three in points against just because there is a little bit of like, that's the, the good players are all consolidated on certain rosters. So like mm-hmm. the points against, you know, aren't always, there isn't necessarily a correlation, but like a lot of times there is a, like the teams who are better do have less points, but that's just because they're playing teams who are bad. Right. Right. Like that's just the way it is. So, um, but doing all of that, it's to look at like, are the good teams winning? Are the good, are the bad teams losing? Are the good teams then not just winning, but going on to success? And the reality is, is sometimes there's little control. We can't control how many points are scored against mm-hmm. us. We can't control. We just can't control that. We can't control if we're the, we play the highest score that week and we're the number two score. That just happens right. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, um, but what we can try to do is make sure that we're putting up better than the median. Right. Like that is the goal. That is the goal. And when I, I use median specifically, if you're not a statistics person, it's not the average. The average point scored is like, that's a metric, but it's not necessarily what you're looking for. The median would be you take the top six scores and then the bottom six scores, like um, in a 12-team league. And the median would be that six score. So everybody above, like six score and above did better than average. And everybody on the seventh score and below did worse than average. Um and you want to look at that because you're not looking at an average score. You're looking at right, it's you're, an actual point. Score, right, you're taking not, you're taking because uh, with a- the problem with average is outliers, right? You have yeah, you know those odd teams that go really crazy and score 180 points, but that's not really reality, right? Uh, median's a, a kind of a better. Uh, it's always a better metric to look at statistically. So, um, and once in a while, I'll look at the mode just to see if there are multiple of the same score. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in doing all that, we want to make sure that there are, like, we're, we're not just doing this based on feel, that we are looking for certain things. And what you see is it, it, that feeling was true, right? Like, that there are certain teams that just tend to finish better, there are certain teams that tend to score more points you couldn't necessarily look at where they picked in a draft. Like there is no correlation between if they had the, you know, teams who picked in the top five do better than teams that pick in the bottom five or, or whatever, you know, like there isn't a correlation there. There isn't necessarily a correlation between what positions they take with their first three picks. The correlation really lies in, they don't waste picks. And that doesn't mean that every, that people are free of bus. It just means that you don't see these guys, the people who finish well, you don't see them reaching multiple rounds. Right. You don't, you know, like you just don't see that happen. Making so, least amount of mistakes. Yeah. And that's, and then trying to correct those mistakes in the waivers, you know, like, yeah, that's the other part is like, you can't walk away from your draft and say, I'm done. I'll just set my lineup every week, but I'm done. You know, like this is my roster. And, uh, cause you do have to look for those guys, but, uh, 
when we're looking at that and we're looking at, at these things, really we're trying to do this based on not just everybody's ranks and who's using what ranks and is that the, the correlation that we should be looking for? Does someone just have a magical ranking person that they use or a magical source of data? And that's not the case no. either, right? Like um, the reality is, is that nobody, none of these people are just going down and, and picking that the next person in their ranks. There just is a thing there. And uh, a lot of this conversation is about talking about draft flow and those kind of things is really like, guys, you, one, you got to know your league. Sometimes knowing your league means pulling those threads apart for 15 plus years of data. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're that so inclined, but some of it is also just knowing some habits. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not, there's no secret if anyone in our league is listening there's no secret if you're drafting after me um, and it's the sixth round, it's unlikely I'm going to take a quarterback. So if you're looking at a quarterback, he's probably going to get past it, right? Like you should know that about me. If you're in a league with me, that's just the way it is. Not saying that I would be averse if some guy just happened to fall. It's just unlikely. So knowing your league and not, you're not going to have to know like every nuance, but that's something that you should no, um, you should know that there's a premium on hometown players. You know, guys in your hometown go earlier than right. they do, you know, um, otherwise. And then guys in your rival might go later. You know, like I'm in another legacy league that I joined later and I drafted Dak pretty late and I got booed. You know, like it just. Yeah, <laughs> same here. I think I drafted Dak last year. <laughs> and that's just like whatever so so knowing some of those things will help you too but that's only going to help you on the margins mm -hmm. you know like really you got to do your research before and then also you got to make sure you can keep your emotions in check keep those things in check yep oh absolutely um yeah it was the uh it, it's kind of funny being in going from being in leagues that were kind of with people in Philly uh, versus like my work league, uh, which is mostly people in from Colorado and seeing the, you know, the bias towards, you know, you know, Broncos players. Um, so yeah, just, I, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. Uh, even if you don't know your league, you know, like kind of ex expect the unexpected, right? You're, you might have people that, are really experienced in fantasy and some people that haven't really done it that much at all and are kind of just going off rankings or just maybe not very uh, going off of very like very basic football knowledge uh so that's something to also consider right uh when you're kind of like analyzing how the draft is going um so yeah there's all these kind of things to to keep in mind uh uh during draft day so yeah so i think that we kind of touched on i think everything you wanted to i, I think that the debate wasn't what we thought it was going to be going in because i think that on in text maybe you lose some of my context there with missing trends because i think that's that was really our point of debate and I, and I think that when we actually sat down to talk it really was yeah we kind of agreed on on a lot of it <laughs> yeah. i got I, um, which I, doesn't surprise yeah me. doesn't surprise me so um 
really, I, I'm just going to wrap up here because yep. this is a, a lengthy conversation. Um, so guys, if, if you like what you hear, uh, you can find us on Anchor. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Google Podcast, which is what Google Play is doing podcast to now. Hopefully iTunes soon. Um, go to the website, drivewayathletes.com. Facebook, if you search Driveway Athletes, you'll see our logo. I could not believe that there wasn't even someone who just took that um, <laughs> prior to me doing it. Um, go on, give us a like. Tell me I'm an idiot or tell me, you know what, I didn't think of things that way. Um, join in in some other stuff. Uh, today is Thursday currently. Um, this will probably post Friday. So uh, I think mathematically it would have to post Friday because it's midnight East Coast. So um, on Saturday, there will be a tri-tip recipe posted on the website. So uh, part of being a driveway athlete is being a good backyard chef. Um, so guys, just go on, check it out. Check out the Instagram. I put some of the food that I'm cooking on there too. Um, stay tuned because we're, uh, we're going to start pumping out some more fantasy uh, content. We're getting closer to the season. Hopefully we have one. Um, and thanks for sticking around. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah.